Let's take our Bibles to Acts chapter 15 this morning. And I've really struggled with what to, to uh, uh, title this message. Uh, one of the titles I've thrown around is The Great Debate. And, and, and this is a very important chapter in your Bible as far as being able to understand why some of the books in the New Testament have been written, books such as Ephesians and books such as Galatians and books such as Hebrews. And if you don't understand what the problem was in the early church, and this is one of the big problems in the early church. It, it wasn't non-church attendance. That wasn't the problem then. Uh, it was legalism. And so we're going to talk about legalism this morning. What, what does the Bible mean? about that term you're not going to find that word legalism uh, in the Bible but you find the definition that that's a word we've come up with after the fact and if you explore that word legalism you got that ism it's a suffix on the end of that word legal and it means the way of the way of the way of legal the way of the law legalism and many people today define legalism as someone who has one more conviction than they got. You might have heard that. You go to a church and someone says, well, I won't ever go down to that church down there. They're legalists down there. They're legalists. And you say, well, what, what do you mean? Well, they won't get, let me dress in my, my uh, Daisy Dukes and halter tops and sing in the choir. I've actually, in the years, not here, but previous in other churches, Women want to come in and sing like that in the choir. And it's not about presenting Christ. It's about, uh, I, I'm on advertisements. And that's wrong. That's sin. That's wickedness. And so a church, because we're in a group and we should have been socialized uh, properly on how to conduct ourselves in a, a public setting. Now, if you go and spend some time at Walmart, you'll see that that's not the case anymore. Anything and everything walks in there. But we must have, if we're to uh, keep decency and in order and not have the house of God turned into uh, a, a place of ill repute, we must have some standards and some convictions and some decency about ourselves. The Bible uses this word, modesty. So modesty and decency and standards is not legalism. Okay, that's not how the Bible defines that. And so this morning we're going to see that. We're going to see that from Scripture. And again, that's why the title, Real Church. We're in a series on what is real church. And it is up to us to get back to the Word of God. Not that we here at Tree of Life were off track in any way. We weren't. But there's a reason we're not off track. And it's because I keep us ever reminded, uh, I strongly believe in Bible preaching. Uh, Bible preaching and, 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 and pulling messages out from the very text of the Word of God. And why that is so powerful and effective is that's what the Lord did, that's what the apostles did, it's what the early church did. But then when you come back later to read this particular passage of Scripture, you will never look at it the same way again because it's been exposited to you. You understand the context. You understand the conflict and what's going on and the argument presented and then the solution. These things are very important and it keeps us doctrinally sound. So now let's look here at verse 1 in chapter 15 and he says, And certain men which came down from Judea 
They taught the brethren and said, watch this, except, pay attention to your wording, ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That is the definition of legalism. Legalism is to add a work or a sacrament that you must perform before you can get saved, before God will save you. There are religions today and denominations that that's what they teach. You got to either join their church, you either have to be baptized uh, before you can get saved, or you got to take the sacraments of the church. Or you have to be baptized uh, as a baby and baptized into the church. None of that is biblical. And that is legalism. And the Bible clears this up. So this was a big debate in the early church. And these men that were teaching this doctrine, they were saved people. They were Pharisees who had been brought up into Judaism. And that's all they knew. you got to understand the, the New Testament had not been written yet. All they had was the Old Testament. All they had was what they had been raised in, which was keeping the law of Moses, the animal sacrifices, and the circumcision that God had given to Abraham, uh, that, that when God called out the elect, Abraham, God's chosen people, that's why we have such the mess today, people don't believe that Israel is God's chosen people. And so the devil, because he wants to destroy anything that God values, the devil wants to destroy and go against anything that God has set up. The, the devil is moving people to work against because if they can annihilate Israel, they can prove there is no God. That's where that's going. And so these men that were teaching this, it's not that they were lost. They were saved. They were Pharisees. But this was legalism. And they said, look, you cannot get saved unless you're circumcised after the manner of Moses. Now, what are they communicating? They're saying you've got to become a proselyte Jew. You've got to join our order. You say, well, that's not in the text. It is implied, uh, and why it's implied is because that was the process become a proselyte Jew. You must be circumcised as a man. And so then you got to keep the law. And then you could get in on this thing called salvation. So that brings you up to speed. Verse 2, when therefore Paul, now notice the name change. It was Saul, and now all of this changed the apostle Paul and Barnabas. They had no small dissension and disputation. So this thing escalated. With them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So they're going to send them to the church back in Jerusalem where it started. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. That's our problem. The Jews do not believe that the Gentiles can get saved. You've got to be a Jew before you can get saved. That's what they're teaching. And before you can be a candidate, maybe you've heard it like this, before you can be a candidate for God's grace, you've got to be the elect. And before you can be the elect, you've got to be circumcised and keep be keeping the law. 
Now, you might not have heard it quite like that because you get a lot of isms that has, has, has sparked off of this great debate. You got Calvinism. Ism, the way of Calvin. Be careful with doctrines that are named after men. Be careful with doctrines that are named after men. Calvinism. What's that mean, preacher? Well, that means that group of people believe that certain people are predestined to go to heaven while other people are predestined to go to hell. And if you don't happen to be the in the elect, there's nothing you can do. You can't get saved. You're just going to hell. You say, wow. Yeah, that's wow, ain't it? And that's not in Scripture. And so what's, what happens is people do not understand what's going on in the early church. And you get all these little isms that, that branch off from this very thing, legalism. There's big denominations today that says, no, you got to keep the catechism of the church and keep our church sacraments and you got to take the Eucharist every Sunday or you cannot be a candidate for the grace of God. You got to be in our church, the one true church. You, you hear that. That's what they communicate. That is legalism. And it is totally against Scripture. It's totally against the design of God. Now let's read on just a little bit farther. In verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But, there's that contrast, there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders come together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, this is back and forth, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace, there it is, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you. Lord, we love you today. I love you. I know these people love you. That's why they're here. Lord, help me to step out of the way for just a few moments. Let the Holy Spirit come down and to meet with us this morning. We can get a better understanding of the Word of God. Be with those that couldn't be here this morning. They're, they're sick. They're, they're down. They don't feel well. And Lord, I ask that you be with them and help them as they seek uh, treatment. And be with those that just couldn't be here this morning because they work. Or, Lord, maybe there's just other things and problems going on that we don't even know about. Help us to remember them work in their hearts there be any loss, Lord, maybe somebody's here and they think, well, I can't get saved. 
Well, let's let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God change their mind on that today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to give you three things. I'm not planning on being too long. Number one, the conflict. We're seeing the conflict. I've been explaining about this conflict. It's the great debate, uh, legalism and the gospel. And, and the Bible is so clear that it's by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then he puts this in there in verse 10. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You, see, you understand and you need to have this in your mind. If you could do a sacrament, if you could do something to earn salvation, then you are what we call a co-redeemer with God. And there are some denominations of people that believe that, that uh, God is only one part of this equation and that there's a work you must do. I got news for you. Here's what the Bible says is the work you got to do. Verse 11, but we believe there is the requirements, is to believe. What does the Bible say? How did the Apostle Paul and Silas answer this to the Philippian jailer when he says, And sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I mean, if you think that you got to take a church sacrament or learn the church catechism, or that you have to uh, be baptized in water before you can be saved, uh, that is legalism, and it's not right, and it's not in the Word of God, even though there's been people and sects of people that's tried to push that dogma before. They were misguided. They were listening to doctrines of devils. And the devil always wants to get in and muddy up that water. But our Bible is clear that what you must do is believe. And again, that's why I preached the message on what does it mean to believe? What are we talking about? Mentally to, to, uh, to acknowledge God? No, that means to pledge yourself to Christ with your whole heart. He says, for with the heart man believeth. So the Bible is clear. The whole books of Galatians, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, even the whole book is written on this subject because these teachers had gotten down there in the church in Galatians and told them, you got to go back to keeping the law of Moses and be circumcised or you can't get saved. And he says, the apostle Paul says, look, who did bewitch you? How did, how did you get so quickly removed from the truth of the gospel? And he says, and he declares under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, if any other man, even if I, or a man, or another angel, preach any other gospel unto you than that which was delivered to you, and you say, preacher, what's the gospel? That's the death the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's our gospel. He says, if any man preach anything else, and that's what they're preaching, they're saying, nope, you got to be circumcised. you got to be part of the elect first. And everybody understands the Jews were God's elect. That's, that's clear in the Bible. They says, then you got to keep that law. Keep that law. Keep that law. Then God can save you. The very definition of legalism. And it's led many people astray. And so these Pharisees, they're 
in this conflict, they were critics. Paul and Barnabas had just finished their first missionary journey. Uh, if we was to back up and have started there in verse 23 in chapter 14, we'd have seen how they come back. And let's look at it. Verse 26. And then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. That's where the, that was the church that ordained them and sent them out. Like I said, ministry flows through the church. Remember that? The Bible teaches us that ministry. There's so many people today, they got these little ministries, but they don't, they're not a member of any church. And they, 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 they don't have no pastor to bring them into perfection. That's maturity, spiritual maturity. They, they're bypassing what God has laid down and they think God has called them into ministry. I got news for you. God didn't because God works through the church. And so now, but watch this wording here. For the work which they fulfilled. When they had fulfilled what they had set out to do on the first missionary journey, they came back and guess what they did? They reported to their home church what is that preacher that's called accountability is what that is and i shared with you last week and the week before so much of what goes on day and i i didn't tell you these things for you to get a bad taste in your mouth to missionaries the missionaries that we support the people that we support they're the real deal and they're doing the real thing they're not laid up somewhere down on the border sucking support money from churches while they're working a second job and doing nothing for god but maybe passing out some gospel tracts at the flea market on a saturday that's not what none of our missionaries are doing there are missionaries i call them moochinaries that do that and if i catch wind of it even if we have supported, we had supported some in the years gone by, and I caught wind of it, and I dropped them like a hot potato. You say, oh, that's so cruel. No, it's not cruel. It's we got to stick with the Word of God. We got to do it God's way, or it's not going to be done anyway. God's way. Accountability. But we see these armchair critics. In our language today, that's Monday morning quarterbacks. You ever heard them? You know, Peyton Manning, one of the best uh, uh, football quarterbacks in the NFL, and you say, no, I like Joe Mantana. Well, I wouldn't argue with that either, you know. Uh, uh, and maybe some of the other greats. But let me tell you something. <laughs> Peyton Manning knows a whole lot more about throwing a football than you or I ever will. And he's gifted. But I would not believe, and you would not believe, that we come in on a Monday morning, we lived up in Indiana, the armchair quarterbacks and the critics would come out, well, I just went and throwed that ball like he did. That guy intercepted that. That guy did this and did that. Oh, my soul. Have you ever seen the front line of some of those football teams? <laughs> and they blitz. And you've got less than, what do they say, two seconds to throw that ball? That means you've got to find who you're throwing it to, 2.7, I think, and find who you're throwing to and then throw it to them without being afraid of taking a hit. Have you seen some of them guys? My brother and I were talking about that the other night because kids, his kids love stories. And, 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 and they wanted to know, how, how fast could you run the 40-yard dash in your day? I said, I could do it in 4.8 seconds. It's not really fast because there's a lot of front linemen in the NFL that weigh excess of 300 pounds that are getting it done in 4.2. 
And I weighed 150 pounds, so that was a long time ago. I don't run like that no more. I've slowed down. But the point is, and they were having fun with that. But you got these armchair quarterbacks. And they're critical. They're not soul winners. They're fault finders. They weren't out on a missionary journey. Uh, they weren't winning souls. They weren't doing visitation work. They weren't trying to help grow the church. They were being critical of everything. And Brother Dave, I believe, because out of envy. Because they were mad. Because they had, been, had to obey the law of Moses. They had been raised in it. And now they wanted to make sure that the Gentiles... They shouldn't just be able to come in here having worshipped in the temple of Diana last week, laying around naked, and come in and sing, Oh, how great thou art this week, having gotten saved. They didn't like that. I run into some of that years ago. In my apprenticeship, there was men that had been mistreated as plasters, journeyman plasters when they were apprentices. And so they, to get retribution, they wanted to mistreat the plaster apprentices that they were responsible to teach the trade to. You say, why would that go on? Because they had bitterness and out of envy. And you had to learn how to endure some of that. Uh, life's not fair, but that's what I see going on here with these Pharisees. They were a little upset. How dare these uncircumcised Gentiles get in and they get the Holy Spirit of God like we do. And so, this critics, they begin to say, nope, we're just not going to have it that way. This is a false teaching. I believe in this case, and I have experienced this dealing with people these years, this was a religious bleed-through. You know, people come from different walks of life. Sometimes, some people, they were raised in a different denomination or in a different religious, whether it be Roman Catholic, maybe Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, uh, whatever have you. And then they come in and maybe they really get saved, and I believe a lot of them do. But then all of a sudden, they still have that old way of thinking. And it begins to bleed through into their teaching and in how they live their lives. I've seen that time and time and time again. Mostly because I've dealt with mostly converted Roman Catholics. But uh, it happens in different uh, religions and denominations. But I believe that's what's going on here. This is what we call a religious bleed through. Remember this. I don't know if someone said it before me. I just know I've learned this. And now I'm going to jump and say uh, a person that's because there's been some people that's been in occults. Sometimes people get wrapped up in an occult. They get deceived uh, and they get wrapped up in an occult. Let me put it to you like this. That individual, I'm not saying they can't get saved. They can, but they need to be deprogrammed before they can be reprogrammed. You can't build upon the old programming or you're going to have problems. And so I always recommend that. 
I strongly emphasize discipleship. And I want to be able to work with you one-on-one if that is such the case. It doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't make you, oh, I can't be spiritual. No, we just got to make sure that the old programming has been totally cleaned out. This hadn't been done here. And so this is a religious bleed-through. Now let me give you a couple points to remember before I go to the next point. There are only two religions in this world. There is one that you do. Legalism, works, church sacraments, Cain's way. Cain was a legalist. He believed that bringing the fruits of the garden, the works, he says, the works of his own hand was going to justify him before God. Then you have the one that is done. The religion that is done. Give me, I'll give you a couple verses of Scripture. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which I've already quoted. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's my point to you. Grace is an inside worker. Because that's where the sin is. But religion and legalism is an outside worker. It just cares about what's on the outside. You know something? I understand we need to uh, 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 be decent and to be modest. uh, But I'm more concerned with what's in the heart. I know that if I can get your heart right with God... The rest of you will get right. Won't even have to worry about it. Because if your heart's right, the rest of you will fall right in line. The problem is our hearts are not right. And so man's answer to people's wicked hearts instead of the Bible is legalism. Let me give you another rule to live by. Let me do this and give you another one of those and another one of those. And we got to have rules. I'm I'm not preaching rebellion or say, hey, we just need to throw all the rules out. You know me better than that. I'm the guy that does the same thing every day. I like coffee at the same time. I like the same kind of coffee. I like it made the same way. Uh, I do prayer drive about the same time every day. I drink afternoon coffee. I sit there at the living room window in the afternoon and bark at the traffic. And sometimes Doodlebug does that with me. It's just something I do. It's, a, it's my process. It's okay. <laughs> I literally one day Jen had come home from work a couple years ago and so I opened the window she, she parks right there by the window and I started barking at her and like oh my so I said told you honey we didn't need no dog <laughs> I got it <laughs> I got this but the point is grace is God's mode to save mankind it's the religion that's done Christ authored it and he'll finish it. And then Philippians 1.6 says that the work that God had started, he's going to do until the day of Jesus Christ. God does the work. Our part is to believe, to pledge ourselves to Christ. But then we see the conference. 
We see this conference. This thing was a big problem, and it created a conference in the church. And so then we have the two opposing sides. You have, and he calls them brethren, the saved Pharisees. Now, generally, you know me, I'd preach them lost. They're devils, you know, they're wolves. And, and that's not what the Bible's communicating to us. And so pastor's ideal on that is wrong. The Bible corrects even the pastor. These were believers. These were saved people. They were Pharisees. They were brothers in Christ, and so they had to be dealt with in love, not out of hate, not out of spite. Oh, we could take a lesson there, couldn't we? You know, if you live long enough, not everybody thinks like you. Not everybody thinks like me. And instead of quickly trying to put our two cents in, maybe listen to try to understand where the individual's coming from and what they're trying to say, instead of listening to them just to come up with a little witty reply, a little smart aleck remark or something. Because that's how you escalate a conflict. Now, this doesn't escalate. This doesn't end in a smart aleck little thing. But the Pharisees are going to give their side and their testimony. And then the Apostle Paul and Peter and Barnabas they give their side, so both sides are presented. I think the Bible's teaching us how to deal with uh, doctrinal issues that might pop up in the church. How would we do this? Well, we're going to find out. I'm going to move quickly. And so Peter, he begins to give his testimony, and I wrote, uh, I read that. Peter's given an eyewitness testimony of how God worked in his life because Peter, he was the apostle to the circumcision, to the Jew. He was not, he would not even eat with the Gentiles. He didn't think that they were allowed to get saved. And then God began to work on him. Remember Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is the first Gentile to get saved, and God God sends the apostle Peter, who didn't think a Gentile could get saved, down there to lead him to Christ. Now, what a lesson. And let me put it to you like this. Sometimes God's got to work on the heart of the pastor and teach the pastor a little something because he's looking at it wrong before he can do a work. And that's what God was doing to Peter. And now it's beginning to make sense because Peter says, hey boys, you know, this is what God did to me. And Peter's an apostle. He Nobody but he questioned his integrity. He wasn't making this up. He wasn't yarning a story. This really happened, and by the way, it happened in front of other Jewish witnesses. And so God sent him to Cornelius. Not only did God save him, he gave him the Holy Ghost. This is what Peter says. And he gave them, he saved them, and gave them the Holy Spirit of God without circumcision, without keeping the law. And God purified their hearts, and he says it right in our text, by faith. And then he declares, his declaration is, Why tempt God by putting a yoke upon the Gentiles that our fathers nor we were able to keep? He's saying, you're, you're trying to tell God what God has to do. Have you ever been there? God, you can't do it that way. Why can't he? God does what he wants. You know, well, God, you can't talk to that person. I know preachers that stand in pulpits says God doesn't hear the prayer of a lost person. Hogwash. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. 
God said he heard Cornelius' prayer. Cornelius prayed daily. He's a lost man. God heard it. There's nothing in the Bible that, that even indicates that. God hears prayers. So, oh, he's got to be saved. Look, it's not up to us to tell God what he's going to do. Who he's going to listen to. Who are we to give advice to God and counsel? And then... Peter, or Barnabas and Paul, they confirmed this by their testimony. They were testifying what God had done through their ministry journeys and how all these churches had got started and how these Gentiles were receiving the gospel and pledging their lives to Jesus and the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And so now I want to draw your attention to the conclusion. How was this settled did they put it to a church vote? Oh, maybe they voted on this. Oh, they had to vote on this. And we put it to the people. No, that's not what you're going to find here. That's not in the Bible either. See, that's, that's, it's real church. See, why we do what we do, our final authority is scriptures. Now look how this unfolds in the conclusion. You'll catch this conclusion between verses 13 and 30. And here's what happens in verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James, now that's the Lord's half-brother, and he's the senior pastor in this church. The buck stops with him. The other apostles, they were there. They were preachers in the church. But James, the Lord's half-brother, is the senior pastor. He's the spokesman. Watch how this plays out. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, he's addressing the church, hearken unto me. Simon, he goes immediately to Peter. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now, he don't stop there. He don't make his decision, the pastor, the senior pastor, based on just personal experience. You got to be careful with personal experience. That's why when I refer to my personal experience, I say, now this is my personal experience. Like the comment I made about most of the bleed through I've ever dealt with has been through converted Catholics. That's because I've only predominantly worked with converted Catholics. That doesn't mean you won't experience that bleed through through different people that comes from different walks of life. And so you've got to be careful with personal experience. Doesn't mean the experience was wrong, but the emphasis, what's going to help you make the final decision is going to be the Word of God. And look how this pastor handles this. Verse 15, And to this agree the words of the prophets, uh-oh, as it is written. What, what is the pastor's favorite saying? You guys put it on my birthday cake a couple years back. Chapter and verse. That's right. That is my favorite saying as a pastor. I hear a lot of ideals, a lot of winds of things, and people like, well, I, I, I think we need to do this or believe this. And I'm not talking about the physical things. I'm talking about doctrines and teachings. 
Well, I think it's like this. We had a man once that believed that water baptism saved you. How did that start? Chapter and verse. I need to see that. What does, what saith the scriptures? I've not always been right in my life. There's been things I've been wrong on. You go back through some of the old, uh, old messages of this church. I just kind of like, oh, I hope nobody ever gets a hold of that. <laughs> it might not be, have been the best hermeneutics. <laughs> it might not have been the best, you know. And I've changed my views on a, on a few things. Why? Because I've grown in Christ. And so where do we place our emphasis to make our final decisions on what is written, chapter and verse? Now watch this. Since it's written, and after this he quotes Amos, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Uh-oh. He's saying it's in the Old Testament, boys. They didn't need nothing out of the New Testament to prove what God was doing. Again, there's another saying, and if you're going through uh, the, the Bible Institutes, you'll probably hear me refer to it a lot because I'm teaching hermeneutics right now. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Doesn't mean it wasn't over there. And James, because he studied and had been given to prayer in the Word of God and spent time at the feet of Jesus, this verse, the Holy Spirit, recalls it to his mind. Known unto God, verse 18, are all his works from the beginning of the world. That's right. God knows what he's doing. We're the ones playing catch up. Wherefore, my sentence is that. So, oh, you mean they're not going to vote on this? No. We're not ever in this church while I'm pastor going to ever vote on whether women pastors are right or wrong. And we're not voting on that. Why? Because the scripture is against it. That's why. We're not ever going to have a vote in this church, as long as I'm pastor, that we're going to have to decide, is Israel God's chosen people or not? We're not, we're not having a vote on that. Why? Because the Scripture says they are. We're not ever going to have a vote in this church, as long as I'm a pastor, that says, well, how do you get saved? Are you saved by grace through faith? Or do you got to be water baptized? Or maybe, maybe this or maybe that. No, we won't do that because the Bible's clear on that. Now, you could have a vote in this church that says, we don't want you as pastor no more. Well, that you can do, <laughs> and that's fine, and I'm okay. You know why? I'm God's servant. I'm God's servant, and that's not going to happen. And, and I've been here, what, 12 years now, <laughs> going into 15. I remember, <laughs> I remember years ago, and I'm about done. Pastor was talking to me. He says, you know, the first five years I was the pastor at this church, I was a little worried when I had church trouble, you know, because, you know, it was just as easy for me to leave as them to leave. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get voted out. And he said it didn't. But then I got into my 10th year, and then I was a little more secured. And, and, and I was like, well, you know, this could come to a vote. You know, uh, people come in, and, and as people come in, they, got, they need to be vetted. You know, I, 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 I want to make sure they're on the same page with this doctrinally. Because the Bible's clear that we don't need division in the church. We've got to have unity. But he says, once I got into that 15th year, it was like, you know what? I ain't leaving. <laughs> you, you're going to leave. It's a lot easier for you to leave than it is for me. 
And you say, why? Why is it? Because he's God's servant. He's established. He's been there. The people love him. But that's for a few years. It's touch and go sometimes. But the emphasis now, I say all that, say this. Now, if your pastor loses his mind and starts going against the word of God, aha, that's when the people are like, oh, pastor, but the Bible says, oh, no, you know, I could be drinking bad Kool-Aid somewhere, you know. Losing, hey, it can happen. Pastors can malfunction mentally. you got to watch out for me. you got to make sure that I'm okay. Now, I'm, I'm functioning fine right now, but... You never know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm barking at the traffic during the day. I'm not really barking at the traffic. I want you all to know, now, I'm, I'm really okay. <laughs> I exaggerate things sometimes, but I do teach Doodlebug how to bark at the traffic. <laughs> but he says, no, he doesn't put it up to a vote. He says, my sentence. Now, you've heard me teach you this. God, pastor, people. That's how God set it up. He's handling the word of God. And he says, my sentence is this. He says, here's the eyewitness testimony from a credible witness. Now, all the Pharisees had to go on was how they felt about it. Did you catch that in the text? They didn't, they didn't quote no Bible. They, they, they did not have no, no, well, we've been leading people to Christ, and they've been getting the Holy Spirit of God by being circumcised after the law of Moses. They, there was none of that in their testimony, was it? Of course not. You know why? Well, and I get this a lot. N not out of you guys. And when I say stuff like that, it means years gone by or when we lived up north. Not, not, I don't, don't and nobody think that, oh, pastor, who in the world's telling you all this? Nothing, nothing like that going on. Uh, but don't you think, don't you feel, chapter and verse, if there's no Bible on it, if there's no biblical principle on it, I'm going to be very, very careful with it. And so James, the senior pastor, says, now look, we're seeing what God is doing because Peter and Barnabas and Paul were active. They were working. They weren't sitting on a bucket. They weren't armchair critics. They were working. Hence the phrase, I like how I'm doing it versus the way you're not doing it. Now, yeah, that's a little smart-alecky and snarky. And maybe we shouldn't reply like that sometimes. But I've heard preachers say that. and Maybe I've said that a few times. But he says, no, these men, these men of God, this is what God's been doing. And he says, and the scriptures agrees with that. And so here's my sentence. That we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. He says, no. Legalism is not going to be a part of salvation. This is the great debate, and it was settled here. But look what they do. And this is why you hear me say, standards and convictions are not legalism. Look at the next verse, but there's a contrast. That we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from the things strangled, and from blood. Now, that's giving you just a little bit of the look of maybe what the Pharisees were responding to and what they were referring to. These Gentiles, they're, they're not growing in grace. 
And we're going to have to fast-track them. Let's get them back on the law of Moses. They're still worshiping idols. I got news for you. And I've dealt with this here. Sometimes young converts come from bad walks of life. And they do things. And just because they just got saved a couple of weeks ago doesn't make them a mature Christian. They're going to struggle. They're going to have ups and downs. They're going to do things that you probably wouldn't do and that you know are wrong, but they don't know. So instead of being critical and saying, you know what, you need to start keeping that law of Moses. Well, how about befriending them? How about encourage them to get in discipleship? How about just encourage them to be in this church and let the Holy Spirit of God try to sort some of that out for them? Instead of working out of envy because you were raised in a Christian home and you had to walk the line, you know God wouldn't let you get away with it. And so you begin to work out, that was a good lesson, Brother Dave, out of spite. Oh, we got to watch that stuff. But he did say, look, we need to give them some standards to live by. Just because it's not legalism, we're not hyper-gracers. We're not going to continue in sin that grace may abound either. And so he was balanced. And he says, look, you tell them to abstain from the pollution of idols. Idols will pollute you because you're worshiping a devil. Number two, he says, abstain from fornication. That's sex sins. Okay, it's a no-brainer. And from things strangled, that's a particular way to harvest and meet. Gentiles and pagan cultures, you can study that to get the down low on that. And then from drinking blood, abstain from drinking blood. Oh my. So standards and convictions or expectations... That's not legalism. Every institution in America has expectations for their employees. Whether you go to Food City, whether you go to Ingalls, whether you go to Walmart, where do you work at Ford, GM, anywhere you go, they're going to have expectations and a code of conduct policy. That's not legalism. That's called standards. And the church has standards also. They're not legalism. But here's what I want to leave you with today. Here's the conclusion. And I'm glad that God is so gracious because we couldn't keep the law of Moses. Be it known unto you, brethren, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe. I love that. Oh, you, you, you don't mean the elect? No, that's not how, the Bible never says it like that. It says all who believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. I'm glad that our salvation does not hinge upon whether we can get circumcised and keep the law of Moses or join a church somewhere. The only thing that is required of us is to believe. And that's something that every individual has the capability of doing. To believe, to pledge ourselves to Christ. When the Lord lights the light bulb of the glorious gospel. What a wonderful process. 
And so this great debate in this early church with legalism, oh, you got to take the church sacraments. Oh, you you got to keep the church catechism. Oh, you got to be baptized by a Baptist preacher who's been baptized in a line of succession all the way back to John the Baptist. Hogwash. That's not in the Bible either. I didn't make that up. That, there's people that actually believe that. They're saved. There's a whole clique, a whole movement called Brighters. I'm picking on some of the Baptist things today. I'm glad that none of that determines whether I can get saved or not. All I got to understand is that I'm a sinner. That I can't save myself. But because of God's grace, because that's one of the attributes of God, gracious, He paid the way and says, now, all you must do to be my child is to believe. There's no works to it. And they said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful gospel we have. And I thank God that we don't have to try to keep the works of the law to get saved or to even stay saved. Once we've pledged ourselves, we are eternally secured in the believer. Now, How's that about, about a good God? That's a good God, ain't it? Let's all stand this morning.